we got to come home from school and set up this big surprise party for him because it was his last birthday here. But as a kid, we didn't take that in and have it as impacted as it really is. And we were just so excited. He was home and was like, yeah, this is dad's last birthday, but it wasn't cemented in on why that was. And he actually passed away uh, the next month, actually, just under four weeks later. And I was eight years old and it was... What is up, beautiful people? I am Lachlan Samuel and this is the Open Up Podcast, the show that is making mental health mainstream. The way we do that is we interview people about the deepest, darkest, most traumatic and challenging moments and periods of their life. We go over what they went through, how they overcome it, any tips, tools and tactics that they use to do so, any lessons that they've taken away from that period in their life, and then where they're at now, how they've turned that pain into purpose. All I can say is that I'm just truly, truly grateful. And I absolutely believe that together, me and you, and the sharing of these stories, we will make mental health mainstream. Let's go. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, everyone. It's episode 88 with Jamie Sheridan, new happiness co-ambassador. <laughs> Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for making time to do this in your safe space or place, which is your car. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's quite cool. <laughs> um, first question straight off the bat, I'm sure you've heard this before. Could you please describe the way that you view yourself uh, as a woman and or human? I've been thinking about this for a while because I was never really sure on how I saw myself and I've come up with something simple and sharp and it's just kind and colourful. Well, that that is simple. (laughs) And I would agree. Like having met you a few times, yep, absolutely. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, straight to the point. (laughs) Let's dive straight into your story, which starts in childhood. Uh, you happy to walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up with, um, I was the second child and with my mum and my dad, and I thought my childhood was normal, <laughs> and it turns out it wasn't. My dad had cardiomyopathy. He had that um, before I was born. So I just was born into a world where, he was always sick and we were in, always in the doctor's hospital and he was not home all the time because he was obviously um, in hospital for long periods of time. So mum did the best she could and we spent a lot of time with my grandparents and it become normal and I just thought everybody's dad was sick. and well. in an, Yeah. <laughs> and I remember this one time um, it was in... October it was his birthday and we got to come home from school and set up this big surprise party for him because it was his last birthday here but as a kid we didn't take that in and have it as impacted as it really is and we were just so excited he was home and was like yeah this is dad's last birthday but it wasn't cemented in on why that was and he actually passed away uh the next month actually just under four weeks later and I was eight years old and it was really difficult as a child because grief is a really hard and personal thing but as a kid you just have no idea 
how to process that or even understand it. I just remember being really hurt and angry because my dad was gone. Like, why did everyone else have one? But I didn't. And I just went into this really little shell of being quiet. And I never spoke about him because it made people feel awkward. And I would get that look of, oh, you're that girl that lost her dad. And then that's when the identity of the girl who lost her dad was created. And I lived through that for many, many years because um, that's who I thought I was. And I remember going to school and everyone just looking at you like you were on a different planet, but that was just their way of not knowing how to make me feel okay. Yeah. And then um, we lived, uh, that was, so when I was eight and then in early high school, my mum called my sister and I into the room and my uncle, which is my dad's brother, was always really sick. He was, but we would never really understood why he was sick. And um, she explained to us that he had had HIV passed down through a um, blood transfusion when he was a child. Wow. Yeah. So uh, we never knew that. And my mum was the only person that knew that. My dad didn't even know that before he passed away either. And so that we were told that a couple of days before he actually passed away as well. So there was that next death in our family that was normal to us too, because we had already lived it with my dad. And then yeah. He, um, my grandfather, which is my dad's dad, he passed away maybe a year or two after that as well. So that was if a pattern of three big men in my life that had gone. And it was still that normality that this shit just happens to everybody. Like it's nothing, nothing. Yeah. And we were used to it while we were really sad. Like me and my sister were processing this as teenagers where everything's at that awkward age anyway. And like we went through some fucked up shit, but we just didn't realize like we saw all of them, um, like their bodies after they passed away and all that kind of stuff. But it was never a big deal in a sense. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I kind of left school with that and kept it all inside and just buried that down. And I was quite shy and I was extremely overweight when I left school and I had just come out of year 12 not knowing who I was and never really finding my place in the world of who I belonged or where I belonged and um, the friendship circle I wasn't sure and I just went to the pub after my exam with a group of friends once and I got drunk for the first time I was a bit of a late bloomer and I'm just thinking oh this is awesome this is kind of like a mask I guess I can just be this person that um you know, makes people laugh and happy and can hide behind her weight and drinking and that kind of stuff. So then that new identity of the funny fat chick took over. So I just kind of rolled with that and it just progressed and progressed through uh, probably the next four four years, I guess. Well. Yeah. And I was, I thought I was happy, but I was just coasting along in life, not not really caring, you know, what your early 20s were like in that. <laughs> <laughs> Our world kind of come crumbling down one day. I got a phone call that my mum was in um, at the doctor's and there was a problem with her um, her white blood cells and I just knew straight away that she had cancer. And that afternoon she was hooked up to chemo and she had leukaemia. So we went through this big process of her 
having to move down to Melbourne. We live two hours from the city and live there, um, stay in the hospital there for a few months, just getting um, treatment and going through that process of getting a bone marrow transplant. And that was really hard. Like I would come home from seeing her and I was alone. Like I wasn't with anyone and I just felt so alone. My sister, she was great, but she had her partner so she could go home at the end of the day and, you know, go through the motions with him where I was just, I felt alone. I didn't feel like I had anyone and I just kept going further and further into that shell of not wanting to lose my mum and being scared and also trying to keep going in life and be strong for her. And I started um, losing a lot of weight. It wasn't in a healthy way. I just, I didn't eat. I wasn't hungry. I was just really stressed and that's how my body reacted. So as I was losing that weight, I was losing my mask along the same time. I felt even more self-conscious and vulnerable and stuff because it was like everyone was seeing what was underneath me. Yeah. Yeah, my funny fat cheek was going away and who was I without that weight kind of thing. And um, so she she ended up getting better and coming home, which was really, really great. And it was kind of adapting to that new world of mum being home now and I have the responsibility to take care of her. No one, her doctors weren't there and it was up to me. And like obviously dad had um, passed away too, so it, it felt like it had fallen onto me. And um, during that time, I just never really knew still who I was and what I was doing. And I was very much a people pleaser and I would kind of just fit into who I needed to be when I was around certain people and after losing so many male figures I discovered I had this not at the time I knew it was a limiting belief it's only come out recently that I just have this attachment to men because I fear that they're going to leave so I spent so much time chasing the wrong people and when they were pulling away from me I was just grabbing on that that inch tighter like you can't leave me I (laughs) I don't want another male to leave me kind of thing. And I remember one of my friends at the time come up with this idea that um, we should, basically I should give him blowjobs to strengthen our friendship. And at the time I'm just like, oh, this is what I have to do to keep this person in my life. And that went over for um, a period of a long time and he had a partner as well. So I become the other woman. Sorry, is my connection okay? It's just come up poor connection. Yeah, we'll just, I'll just wait till that goes away. Cool. Go again. Okay. <laughs> I have to remember where I was. <laughs> um, you were at the point where that's what you had to do to keep him in your life. Yeah. So I agreed and by no means did he force me into it or anything like that. I just thought that's what I have to do to keep this person in my life. And it went on for a long time um, and it got to the point where I didn't really think about his partner either in that. And it's, I, it just shows the place that I was in um, emotionally and wanting to keep that male in my life as well and just not knowing 
how to say, well, no, like, because I didn't have feelings for him. I didn't particularly enjoy doing it or anything like that. I just thought this is what I have to do to keep him in my life. And um, so that was kind of going on as well. And then my grandfather, my mum's dad, he, him and my nan were those people that kind of took me and my sister under their wing and helped raise us while mum was busy with dad and then her own illness and that kind of stuff. And they were the two constants that we had in our lives. Yeah. Especially my pa, he was that man that didn't leave and he was still there. And then he ended up having a really bad fall and moved into a nursing home and he passed away not long after. And my light had been flickering in my life, just trying to keep going through. And that moment that he passed away, I just, it went black. There was just darkness and I was broken and numb and I just couldn't see how I was meant to keep going with my life while this man wasn't here anymore. And I remember sitting around um, the table planning his funeral and my family were just laughing and stuff, not in a disrespectful way, but just finding enjoyment in his memories. And I kept thinking to myself, how can you be laughing right now like I just I can't stop crying and I feel so broken but that was just everyone else's way of dealing with their loss and their grief because it as I said before it's so personal to everyone else yeah and I um I struggled with that for a long time and I just I I gave up I didn't care and I was still that other woman and my drinking was just I wouldn't go out and have one or two I would go out and get completely blackout just wasted so I didn't have to feel and I was just making poor decisions and just being that person that I never thought that I would imagine I could be and I was waking up thinking how am I here like what am I doing with myself but I just didn't know how to get out of it and I just had this really big sense and fear that I was going to die and my sister and I were going overseas and I'm like, I'm just going to die on this plane. Like I can't get on it. There's well. something. Yeah. And I was, I went to counseling over it and trying to push through it. And now the doctor gave me some Valium just to get on the plane. But I discovered by Googling it, cause I just literally Googled, why do I feel like I'm going to die? And it come up with all these symptoms for anxiety. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> me. <laughs> Not only have I had it through this tiny little bit, I've had it for years and just had no idea what it was because it's new to me. And so going through the process of counselling and trying to just get on that plane, like it it really did help the counselling, but I still needed more to understand anxiety. I was just really curious about it. And I got to the point where... um, I flew over there with the help of Valium and then I got on another flight while we were in America and I almost got off the plane because I didn't have my Valium. I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) You can't get off this plane, like get back on. So I ended up coming home and I was fine. I'm like, oh, anxiety, it's cured. It's gone. I didn't have it anymore. I was only worried about getting on the plane. I've done that. Like what, what else can it do for me? And then I met a guy (laughs) and it's like hello I'm back anxiety he um he was a really nice guy and but he wasn't ready to commit but he wasn't 
strong enough to tell me that. So the more he pulled away, the more I was latching on, holding on to this guy, like, you have to stay. I can't have another man leaving. And I just started feeling horrible because I could see him slipping away. And then he decided to, um, he said one day, like, oh, I just, I don't know if I can do it. So I said, I'm like, okay, let's be done. Like, we can't do this anymore. It's time to let it go. I can't go on like this. And I felt really good about it. And then about a month later, he contacted me again, saying that he um, was in love with me. And that's why he pulled away so much. So I'm like, oh, this guy, <laughs> <He's back." laughs> you know, I can forgive all the other stuff he's done because he's back now and um, I was planning on going to see him and that morning I found out that my nan passed away so I had this big thing in my head that oh nan sent me this guy back you know like she's trying to make sure I'm okay by sending him to me and that wasn't the case at all so I was trying to deal with um, my nan passing away and also this guy who was still making me feel not great about myself. He just was very in and out and he only ever was in for a little bit of time and more out a lot of the time. So he just made me feel so unwanted and unworthy and just like, but I still in myself was like, okay, I'm going to settle for this because this is all I get, I'm going to get. So I just took it on board and said, okay, you just have to do it. And like, I remember he told me he loved me and then took it back about five minutes later. Well. But I was just like, this is all I'm going to get. I have to think that that's okay. And I, I knew it wasn't, but I wasn't ready to admit it. And we ended up um, ending things not long after. And that just sent me further and further down. I was just miserable. I had nothing about me that I thought was lovable and I just felt alone and numb and just completely blank I was living each day just living I wasn't going out there and doing stuff with my life I was just going through the motions of it all and I remember during that time I I needed something positive in my life and I just searched um happiness in my Facebook <laughs> and so I'm like positive quotes or something just to pop up and uh, happiness code come up and then I started liking them and engaging with them a little bit and I'm like I don't know what this is but this is kind of cool and I've never done anything personal development wise whatsoever and then I reached out to Robbie about their podcast and he's like, you should do this challenge. And it's like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> it is, but I'm going to do it. And just realizing how much stuff that I had had to work on in yeah. that amount of time, it's like, whoa, what is personal development and why haven't I been doing it like for years? It's crazy all the stuff that just come out from that and then, it's all pieced together, piece by piece, like how I formed attachments to people and why I formed attachments. And it's just blown my mind in the last 16 months of what the hell have I been doing? <laughs> That's awesome, buddy. Before we get into all of that, 
and speak about all the goodness within Happiness Co and what you've learnt. I've got a few questions uh, from that story. The first one is, knowing that your dad was sick a lot of the time and your mum having to look after him, do you think that you modelled your behaviour and the way that you viewed relationships off of that? Yeah, yeah. I've never really thought about it that way, actually. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I could understand you feeling like you need to please men and keep them around if that was literally what your mum was doing. Yeah, I've, as I said, my mind's just kind of blown. <laughs> <laughs> I need to unpack that one. But Win. Yeah. <laughs> you don't realise what you take on as a child. Yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, was there... You spoke about that last birthday with your dad and not really understanding uh, the significance of it. Was there any guilt from there on for not having um, celebrated that, I guess, as you would have liked, looking back now? Uh, not particularly about that. I, I hold most of my guilt about my dad in that I don't remember him that well. Okay. I was eight and the memories I do have are of him when he was passing away and that kind of stuff. And I know more about his death than I do the person who he was so that I hold guilt over that more. Yeah. Um, have you been able to work through that or uh, relinquish any of that at all? Yeah. In the last um, few months, actually, it's all kind of come ahead of this stuff. And um, Michelle, you know, Michelle, she, recommended writing letters so I did 21 days worth of letters to my dad and just kind of it wasn't necessarily pouring my heart out every day but it was just communicating him in the only way I have with him the only way I have I guess but he um I've been learning more stuff about who he was from my mum and my auntie and that kind of stuff that they've never really thought oh we know this but Jamie doesn't so yeah it's been quite cool learning who he was and how similar the two of us are. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. Uh, were you were you able to talk to anyone about how you felt or what you were thinking after losing your dad? I know you said you, while at school, you were treated a certain way and people sort of distanced themselves because it was that awkward conversation. Were you ever able to open up at all about it? No, never. I just – and I've been – like that majority of my life, just things I've just kept to myself. And if I would open up, it would be a very tiny bit. It would just be kind of like laugh it off and push it down and keep going. Yeah. yeah. Well, and laugh it off means that it doesn't really, you're, you're giving people the idea that it doesn't really matter too much just in case they react or yep. cringe or like it's awkward. And so you're sort of defending yourself before you even put it out there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, in terms of that, like burying that trauma and losing your dad, looking back now, do you understand how it influenced your behavior moving forward? Yeah, <laughs> in a massive way. <laughs> <laughs> how so? Uh, based with attachment too and that fear of people always leaving because that's, 
the the thing that I had. I just focused on those who left instead of remembering who was here. And I didn't realise that I spent a lot of time chasing those that couldn't stay just to validate that 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 was right that men always leave so yes and that attachment is something that I've really been working on in the last few months after I discovered I was doing it just trying to keep who I was and not latch on to everybody yeah damn that's powerful to break that down and to be able to work on and eventually relinquish that's going to be profound for your life yeah yeah it really is it's probably (laughs) my biggest growth will come from healing that and I've I've done so well I've still got a a little bit more to go but yeah I've come so far with it in the last few months um who did you have to become when your mum was sick because I know you said that like although your sister had a partner you'd have to be alone pretty much throughout that whole thing um Did you have to change in that situation at all? Yeah, I kind of took on the role that my dad would have taken, like her, just to be her support and her um, partner in life, I guess. I know that sounds a bit weird, but I stepped into the role he would have taken if he was here and, yeah, helping her through that. Do you feel like you ever let go of that role at all? I struggle with it and I still do hold on to that, but I, it's something that I'm getting better with, but it is a hard role to break because I, I think the guilt steps in there too. Like yeah. it wasn't her choice that her husband passed away and stuff like that, so I hold that guilt like I can't leave her alone. I don't mean this to sound rude or disrespectful at all, but did – did you find a sense of validation in having like in playing that role and knowing that you were being like the protector or the support for your mum? Not particularly, no. I always when people would say, like, Oh, you're doing such a great job with helping your mum and stuff like that, I always really shy away from it and don't like that attention. I just do it because she's my mum. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think I have get validation from that night okay um moving on to uh being i think you said the overweight girl who was funny yeah do you feel like being overweight was a way to i guess self-sabotage or protect you from like you did with the laughing it off protect you from people uh not accepting you yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never did anything about it. Pardon? I never did anything about my weight. I would just, you know, be unhappy with it, but I didn't go to the effort of actually changing it. So, yeah. Did you ever feel like you were enough at that point? Or had you ever felt like you were enough up until then? No, never, never. Well. Do you have an understanding of why? Uh, I think I just never really gave myself the attention to think that I was enough. Yeah. Okay. And so moving on to 
when you said you start sort of chasing men that were probably the wrong men to chase, what sort of men were you chasing? Just ones that weren't after anything long term, you know, and just, you know, like wanted a quick one night stand or something like that, or weren't emotionally ready and all that kind of stuff. And I feel that I was chasing them because I didn't think I was good enough to get somebody that I deserved. Well, that's powerful. Yeah. And if you had spent time with people or you grew up with your dad who was sick, who was on the verge of going and then eventually did it eight and then your mum did the same, it's only natural that you, you attract that same stuff back into your life as you grow older if you haven't acknowledged and relinquished that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, was there ever any guilt for being the side girl? I know you said you didn't think too much about it, but you know, I've definitely been the side guy before and there was a lot of guilt, a lot of self-hate. Was there any of that for you? Uh, at the time, no. And it did happen a long time ago and it stopped a while ago, like a long time ago as well. But it's only been recently when I've started changing my life for the better where I've realised, like, what have you done? Like, I always pushed it that's his side of the story to deal with and not mine. And it's like, no, Jamie, you take responsibility for what you've done. You made a choice to do this and you didn't care at the time, but, you know, you fucked up. You should have said no. So knowing that you feel that way now, how have you, I guess, been dealing with that, processing that? Because for a lot of people in that situation, that would turn into like self-loathing or self-hate. Yeah, just I kind of separate the person I was then to the one I am now and look at it like I did fuck up. I made a mistake and I know that the person I am now would never, ever, ever do something like that again. And I just hold myself responsible for it and take responsibility. But know that I'm changed and I just know in my heart I'll never do anything like that again. Is there a lesson in that for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? To not be a people pleaser for start and to also not hide the behind the excuses of that I did it because I needed to keep him in my life. Yep. All that connections there again Jeez, is it okay it's <laughs> okay my in oh now I'm gone what <laughs> <laughs> it's good my in now is it good you're in yep yeah so just not hiding behind that excuse that you know of all the other bullshit like I'm fearing he's gonna leave and all that and just to own my mistakes and also a lesson in not being so hard on myself about those mistakes that I've made too. That's powerful. That is because it's for a lot of people in that position, it'll be easy to hide behind, hide behind something like that, like an underlying or driving motivating factor behind that sort of behavior. So that's, that's powerful. And that's just going to help you relinquish that as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
Now, I think you said you weren't able to, I guess, express yourself when you lost your dad. You were alone for most of the time and had to be the supporter, the protector for your mum while she was sick. Um, and then we move on to like losing your granddad. You said you were crying while you were planning his uh, funeral. Were you able to express yourself when you lost him? No, no. I just, that's all I could do was cry and just that, you know, that really heartache that you get sometimes? Yeah. It was like that. I was just broken. I just couldn't, like, of course my mum and family knew that I was really upset, but the extent of it, I don't think that they understood because I just couldn't express that. Looking back now, do you think that was like an accumulation of the loss of your dad and then the loss of your granddad? I think so. I think it all kind of just come out because he was, he was a father figure to my sister and myself and he stepped in and took that role once dad passed away. So I think that brought out when he, when he did die, it brought out a lot of the locked up trauma from when dad did pass away. Well, and if if you didn't already have that belief cemented that men leave you, then I guess when he passed away, that sort of just solidified it. Yeah. Um, anxiety, fear. Hmm. Insane. I think you said with your anxiety, it was like a fear, especially while you're traveling, a fear of dying. Do you think that goes back to because you'd grown up with sickness, both with your dad, your uncle, then your mum? Yeah, I think I just deep down it was like, well, dad died when he was young. Mum got sick. I'm just going to die when I'm young too. And just being around that death so often and frequent during my childhood uh, yeah, I think it just latched on and come out in I'm going to die on a plane kind of scenario. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back at your childhood and knowing that that sort of anxiety come up while you're traveling, can you see uh, any behavior or, or any sort of anxiety uh, throughout your life up until that point? Oh, yeah. I had it for years. Like, really? And, yeah, just I had no idea because I'd, you know, it was never really spoken about anxiety or um, depression in my immediate circle and that kind of stuff. And I just had no understanding of what it actually was. And when I started reading it, it's like, oh, I felt like this for a long time. And I just put it down to nerves. <laughs> like, <I'm laughs> nervous. It's like, no, that's, that's anxiety. And yeah, I can't remember a time when I didn't have it. Well, how would that anxiety manifest for you? Was it only ever catastrophizing and like fearing you're going to die? Yeah, just everything was, you know, if my sister was running late or something, she's had a car accident, you know, like it's never like she just had to run back and grab something. It was always that instant, like huge drama, something's gone wrong. Yep. Yeah. I was exactly yeah. exactly the same. My dad was a cop, and any time he was like five minutes late home, it was like, oh, my God, he's been shot. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It is. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Uh, so in moving on to uh, when you're now with this guy who's saying he loves you and taking it back and he's like quite often pulling away. What story were you telling yourself about him pulling away? That, uh, just a, like, why would he love me? Like, why would he want to be with me? This is the validation I need to say. Yep, I knew it. it's about time he was going to leave. Of course he was going to leave. They're all, they all leave kind of thing. So it's just validating that, well, that thought that I had, yeah. If you had that sort of underlying belief and that validated, um, it sort of validated that him pulling away. When he pulled away, did you feel like you needed to please more to keep him? Yeah, yeah. I was like becoming a person that I knew I wasn't, like tolerating behaviour that, you know, he he's a nice person and stuff like that. But now I'm out of it. I can look back and think, I didn't even really like him in that way. I just thought that that's the best I was going to get. Like, you know, we would go out and he would be this person that I just like, Oh, I don't like this quality about you, but it's, it's not a bad thing. That's just who you are. And it's not me, but I would say that's okay and you know form and change and try and be this person that he wanted me to be just to keep him well who did you who were you and who did you have to change into to keep him around uh just uh it was kind of like his mother (laughs) (laughs) you're just looking for someone to look after like and it's just like be yourself man like you know you don't and everything was um a bit like everything was a huge drama you know like if you get um you close out the dryer and they're still a bit damp like it was a huge drama for him where I'm just like what (laughs) like who cares just wear it wet (laughs) but I was like validating his behavior like oh I know it's so annoying and just going along that track just to well in with yeah so so bizarre (laughs) (laughs) um I guess going back to when you lose your granddad knowing that uh your mum played the support role for your dad you jumped into the support role for your mum and then you're sort of doing a similar thing like mothering this guy um, after your granddad's passed, did you have to, or did you feel like you had to play a support role when he passed away? Uh, not really. No, I think I needed that somebody to support me to be, to be honest. I just, yeah, I, there was nothing that I could give once he passed away. I, we stepped in and, um, we all like took care of my nan and that kind of stuff. So I guess it did come in a little bit with her, but yeah, I feel like I needed that support role at that time. Did you get that? Yeah, I did. But in saying that I, I wasn't really open about how I was feeling. So they couldn't really support me the way I needed to, because they can't read minds. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> with my mum, I become uh, like really snappy towards her and quite angry towards her and stuff 
because she didn't understand how I was feeling, but I kind of took it out how I was feeling on her, but she, yeah, they didn't have any idea how I was really feeling inside because I just put that smile on and kept going. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you've been doing that your whole childhood after losing your dad and, um, I guess having people feel awkward around you when you opened up, then of course you're not going to want to open up, especially to your family and especially around your mum, like you've lost someone of that sort of significance. Yeah, exactly. And I think with her too, like she lost her husband and her parents and all that kind of stuff. I didn't feel like I wanted to put more pressure on her. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way it's, sort of you uh, subconsciously or unconsciously affirming that no one understands you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even understand me, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's fast forward back to recovery. You've typed in happiness on Google, found Happiness Co. You've started interacting. Robbie's told you to do the 21-day happiness challenge, I think. Yeah. Um, what were the, some of the first things that you went through uh, or activities that you did when you had that sort of aha moment, like, holy shit, this is uncovering something for me? It was probably in the program we do, um, like, what's your story? Yep. And I started writing about some things and it's like, oh, <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> I get that, like, when it's in paper in front of you, it's like, oh, you've been through a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was when it was like, oh, okay. And once I got out of the 21-day challenge, I went into their mentorship program where it really makes you dig in and just finding stuff out about myself and that I discovered that, I never felt that I was worthy my entire life and just um, starting to unpack little things about that and going into um, the whys and feeling like that. And then, yeah, it kind of just snowballed into this big thing of like, ah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Unraveled ever since. (laughs) Uh, Could you, I guess, give a overview or a summary of what's involved in that for anyone who might be interested? In the 10-weeker? Yeah. Yeah, it's basically what you do cover a lot of it in the 21-day challenge, but it just each homework pillar is a week long, so you really dig into that and you have um, Zoom calls where you get to go on with one of the coaches and a group of people and really unpack that week's homework and dig in and, yeah, and the connection with other people too. And I'm one that heals by seeing other people heal as well and you kind of get on the same level and be like oh I do that too like and that helps you along the process and you just have that constant support there where you know you're not alone because I did think that for a while that I was alone in this but I'm not and that's uh that's one of the things that you touched on before we started was that a change of environment has been hugely beneficial for you moving forward and I guess that's what that sort of environment and interacting with people who are changing their lives, interacting with the coaches, that's what that sort of brings. It brings um, a sense that 
no matter how bad your life is, it can change. Yeah, exactly. And you see everybody in that program and the coaches and Jules, they all have a story and they've been through some pretty fucked up shit and then you can see them and where they are and they still have bad moments as well, but it's about getting those tools where you can learn to get through those much better than you used to years ago when I would go into my shell. Now it's like, okay, let's deal with this. And yeah, just you're not alone and having those people there to remind you of that, it's pretty special. That's awesome. Uh, you also touched on hypnotherapy. So uh, what did you get out of that? Uh, well, I did try that for um, when I got back from overseas. I'm like, oh, I need to be able to get on a plane without Valium. <laughs> I don't want to get that addicted to that stuff and um so I, I rang him and he I just connected really well and he was studying psychology which fascinated me and we were in um the session and he's the first person that ever told me that I could change my life and at that stage I wasn't ready to do anything with that information <laughs> but it was like oh okay and yeah I got that and I think I went to I got it for a mixture of um, fear of flying and anxiety and I went to get on a plane by myself for the first time about three weeks after it and I was fine <laughs> like it was incredible I didn't need any Valium I was calm no anxiety or anything I'm like this is awesome and yeah it was so helpful for me that's amazing uh, how have you knowing that you had uh, I guess buried everything that you've been through how have you given yourself permission or allowed yourself to express uh, everything that you go through now? Just by putting my big, big boots on. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just always remember to be vulnerable and be open. And those that don't accept me for that or find it weird or confronting, well, that's just their story. And this is mine. They just have to love me for all of it. Okay, I can't skip past that. How have you gone about finding self-acceptance? Because for most people, that is that is the underlying issue, not feeling <laughs> like you're enough. I just keep reminding myself. I'm like, just those affirmations in your head and just reminding myself, you you are meant, those that are meant to be in your life will stay in your life. And I just always remind myself that and try and break free from that attachment to those that are on a different journey. That's powerful, especially for you knowing that you felt the need to chase men and to keep them in your life. Like obviously you had that story since your dad passed away that men leave. Knowing that your dad passed away, you would have told yourself that story over and over again. And that's the only way to get rid of that is to tell yourself a new story over and over again. And so that's that's why affirmations are super powerful. And to have one that's specific, uh, I guess in regards to your certain underlying limiting belief, that's super, super powerful. And that's going to change your life a lot quicker than a vague, broad affirmation would. Yeah. And it it's hard. <laughs> Some days it's just like, this like little negative thing <laughs> over here, but you just keep pushing and <laughs> overpower it. But it is hard, but they're the days where you've got to push harder. Yeah. All right. A couple of questions and we'll wrap up. 
knowing everything that you've been through, knowing that you've met the co now and you've got your, your tribe, you're changing your life, you've got your affirmations, uh, what would you say the quality of your life is like now? It's so different and so much better. <laughs> like I, in the past, like these last 16 months aside, I could only remember probably once or twice where I felt pure joy over the like 10 years before that. And just now, like I, I have that feeling back and that color back in my life and that light switch has been turned on and just, yeah, it's incredible. I still pinch myself. <laughs> well, what was that one moment of pure joy? I went to see a psychic not long after my pa had passed away and I'm really open-minded, but a little bit of me was a bit sceptical. And um, just that moment after I got out of that, I was like walking down a main street in Melbourne, like rainbows and glitter just spurting from my body of pure joy. <laughs> and I just, that, yeah, that moment is one of those where I'm just like, oh, I always remember that moment because there weren't many like that. <laughs> What's your most recent one? My most, uh, when I become an ambassador. Yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> and deserve too because you're an amazing human. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, what are you most grateful for right now? I'm most grateful for my past because it has got me to where I am right now. Cute. That's the best, <laughs> that's the best one so far. <laughs> uh, last question. Uh, if you had the chance to put a message on a billboard where you know thousands of people would see it every day, what would that message be? I think it would just be something basic like choose joy. I remember someone told me a while ago, if you're struggling to find joy in your own life, find it in other people's lives and then it'll eventually flood into yours. So now it's just choosing joy in every situation. Yeah. That's powerful. And I love the way that you described that because where attention goes, energy flows. So 100%, if you can't yes, find, find joy in your own, find it in someone else's. That's cool. I've never thought exactly. of it like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. To wrap up, I want to acknowledge you for doing this, for doing this in your safe place, in your car, <laughs> for persevering <laughs> through all the cutouts, but most of all for who you are as a person, having met you, uh, having spent some time with you and knowing what you've been through. Uh, I'm very, very proud of you as a friend and I'm grateful to have you in my life, grateful to share your story and grateful that you're now an ambassador for Happiness Co. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm so grateful. <laughs> you're incredible when you do that. <laughs> thank you, buddy. You have a good day, eh? Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Now, before I let you go, you beautiful, beautiful human, I just want to say I hope that you liked that episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please make sure that you share it with your friends, your family, anyone that you think or feel will benefit from listening to the story of vulnerability, the story of courage, the story of overcoming struggle. Now, if you haven't already, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're on Instagram, you already know that you sleep in my fridge, inside joke. And please, if you can, subscribe to us on YouTube or give us that five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever podcast, platform, or app that you use. It'll go a long, long way to helping us make mental health mainstream 
and getting these stories, these stories of courage, into the mainstream. Thank you all, guys. Ciao.